It's the Ride All Night Podcast, with stories of friends and family of the band from Good Homes. Started during the pandemic of 2020 and continuing until we're done. Thank you, we're trying some new things here. Okay, here it comes. We've got a million people to thank. Welcome back to the Ride All Night Podcast. It's been a long hiatus. As we wrapped up the film, Charlie Loves Our Band, and we are leading up to the September 15th screening in Sparta, New Jersey, followed, of course, two days later on September 17th by the From Good Homes concert at Waterloo Village. Get your tickets now to those things. So leading up to them, we're going to try to crank out as many of these podcasts as we can, and what these are are the full interviews from the um, production of the film, Charlie Loves Our Band. This week, we have my good friend from Denver, Colorado, David Tracer. David Tracer, a.k.a. Dr. Zayas, is a musical muse, a master of ceremonies, and a distributor of good vibes. He is a rock photographer a curator of sights and sounds, and the founder and purveyor of the Todd Schaefer fan place, Where the Songs Begin. I met David three years ago when I traveled to Denver to interview Todd Schaefer for the film Charlie Loves Our Band. I arrived and I went directly to Cervantes' other side. I got there right as Todd was kicking off and started looking around to see if I knew anyone. I recognized David from the Facebook machine, and I said, Hey, aren't you David Zayas? As he grabbed his camera and walked towards the stage, he glanced back over his shoulder and said, with a giant smile on his face, Dr. Zayas. The adventure began there. David hosted a screening last month of Charlie Loves Our Band, July 21st, 2022, at the University of Denver. Thanks, David, for hosting such a fabulous event. You rallied together old and new friends and were, of course, the perfect host for the affair. Oh yeah, David also works at the University of Denver, professor of health and behavioral sciences, trained as a biological anthropologist. His main area of expertise is human ecology, how environment and context influence aspects of both human biology and behavior. Whew. Let's get back to the photos and the music. After decades of enjoying live music and making pictures of these affairs, although he will modestly decline the title, you can certainly call David a music historian. And his curated photographs, musical selections, and historical references certainly define a thread of the music and culture that we all love so. If you don't know David, do yourself a favor and meet him. He is at most all Railroad Earth, From Good Homes, and Todd Schaefer shows, as well as all Bob Dylan and probably Steve Kimmock shows. And that's just the beginning. If any of these artists are playing in and around the Denver area, and probably an 1,800-mile radius of the Denver area, he'll be there. I hope you enjoy my conversation with David Tracer.
So I'm David Tracer. Uh, my day job is I'm a professor of anthropology and public health at the University of Colorado in Denver. Um, I also uh, am the sole proprietor of Tracer Rock Photography Trip, which um, is my photography company, and I primarily do, as the, as the name says, rock photography, I do primarily music, rock photography, but I also do natural history and nature, rock photography. So... That's what I do. I want to ask you about your recent travels, but I wonder if you accept your role recently as a photographer. You know, you are capturing the, this genre of music in a big way. Like the desire to capture music through photography, you think that kind of puts you in a role of understanding musical trends? Um, I don't give myself credit for much of anything. I think I'm a... I um, think I'm a good photographer. I think I'm a, a better than average photographer. And I think I'm an intense lover and consumer of music. I think that without music, I would have a hard time surviving. It's, it's like food for me. It's like sleep for me. So... Um, to your question of my role as a historian, I guess there's a public service element to it, and it's deeply gratifying when people look at my photos and it brings them back to a time and a space that they were at, or allows them to experience a time and space that they were not at, that they're curious about, um, and that's deeply gratifying. And consuming the music and loving the music and dancing and being in the moment is also profoundly satisfying. And as I said, it's kind of akin to food and sustenance for me. And so rather than being a historian, I really look at myself as doing two things that I love simultaneously. And man, how lucky am I to be able to do that? Um, and then if other people can glean any insight, any glimmer of what it was like 30 years ago at a Grateful Dead concert or at any other concert, well, so much the better. And I'm pleased to do that service. Let's go back. You're, let's see yeah. if we can work our way through historically in the musical perspective, you know, your experience. Uh, there was always music playing in my house and I always loved music from the earliest time I could remember. I do have a brother who's 10 years older than me. So that music um, for him was, and we're, so we're talking about, you know, the, we're talking about the 60s now. A lot of Jefferson Airplane playing. My older brother really liked the Jefferson Airplane. Barry Maguire, The Eve of Destruction. You know, I remember playing. There was a lot of, I guess, what people called protest music. I remember my older brother being worried about being drafted into Vietnam and having family meetings around the table about 
what we could do to have him avoid being drafted into Vietnam. And I feel like a lot of the music that we were listening to was a lot of the anti-war and quote-unquote protest music. I remember Bob Dylan's first greatest hits album playing in the house near constantly. Eventually, that morphed into Blood on the Tracks, I remember, which came out in 75, so it's a little later. So I grew up in a, in a really musical household, and I just had a, a real desire to see live music. And I think I started seeing live music in the mid to late 70s and really burst in full on into the rock music scene, as it were, in sort of 78 and 79. And 1979 in particular, I think was a turning point in my musical career. I started going to, I was still in high school, and I started going to a lot of big name, big act rock shows at Madison Square Garden. So in 1979, I saw my first Grateful Dead show at Madison Square Garden. I saw The Who at Madison Square Garden. That was a tour where a bunch of people unfortunately got crushed to death in Ohio at a prior Who show. And the Madison Square Garden show was frightening getting in because it was a large crush of people pushing and it almost seemed like the same thing was going to happen again with people hitting the ground and people going over them. But fortunately, no one died there. But that was a, a really fantastic show that I remember at Madison Square Garden. I saw Jethro Tull at Madison Square Garden that year. I saw Neil Young and Crazy Horse on their Rust Never Sleeps tour at Madison Square Garden. So I saw a lot of what then were big name rock acts. Now they would be considered classic rock. They weren't classic then. They were happening then. Um, and that was a, a really fun turning point. I started taking in music, not merely through the, you know, through vinyl and tape and things of that nature, but really loving experiencing um, live music. I was fully, full, a full-on deadhead by then in the late 70s. I knew what was going on around me. I mean, I read The Village Voice was my newspaper and every week I'd buy The Voice, and before I read The Village Voice, I would look at the music section, see what was happening at the various clubs. Um, you know, the really avant-garde music was happening at CBGB's, Max's Kansas City. I didn't really go to those places very much, but back then we were in the heat of kind of disco and that sort of music. We weren't quite it new wave, but we were starting to get there, you know? Talking Heads was kind of starting in the village, playing at CBGB's. I did start going to the Ritz, 
which was re was relatively new and had an interesting mix of both current bands and classic bands like Yorma Kalkinen would play there. And I would go to see acts at the bottom line. Well, you know, it's interesting because we'll return to the village in the later 80s because From Good Homes was not there yet, right? They were still in high school. So if you could imagine, I mean, I know you didn't know them back then, but you were in the tri-state area. Could you imagine what was going on with them, say late 70s to really uh, up to 81? So yeah, they were out in the burbs, right? An hour west of New York. Right. So they're more in the suburbs. and But I imagine that they're influenced by bands like Talking Heads that are kind of coming of age during that time. I, I would think of Lou Reed, maybe Bowie, too, as being s sort of skirting the edge between um, underground music and starting to emerge as more pop music. You know, big bit Zeppelin. I know Brady was Southern rock, very Southern rock. So was Todd. Yeah, absolutely. Allman Brothers, you're right. You know, I've heard Todd say that many people think that his guitar playing, particularly when he plays lead, is somewhat reminiscent of Garcia, but that he probably, in his own mind, has is paying homage more to Dickie Betts. And, and I can hear that. Yeah. It's funny because the story of like from good homes, right? As I've been talking to people, I talk a lot about privilege, right? But I'm getting no one cracking that open and talking about it. So I'm not going to go there, you know? No, I, th I think you can go there. They're, they were suburban guys. The name from good homes is very telling. The fact that you know, the story of their origin and how they got off by being from good homes, got off from their rap, which, you know, we all know if they were not from good homes, then they would have experienced something very different. You know, much as we're experiencing right now in society, right? It's pretty clear that being from good homes, or maybe at this point, simply being white, lends you a, a measure of privilege that's not available to others. So I like their name. I think it's, I, I think it's, it's truthful and yet it's a little bit of a, a ribbing on the, on the privilege that is engendered by being from white suburbia. You know, it, 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 it pokes it while at the same time it's truthful. 
I think I first became aware of From Good Homes. Well, eventually I had a subscription to Relics Magazine. Initially, I would just go to a newsstand and buy it month by month. And I'm pretty sure that they profiled From Good Homes as a new and up and coming band on the, you know, I was gonna say on the jam scene, although that term was not used yet back then. You know, Relics was originally called Dead Relics. It was originally a Grateful Dead fan magazine, largely, then became, you know, a little more um, wide in its coverage of music, but it still was focused on more jammy or, you know, not AM radio bands, let's put it that way, bands that were a, a little apart from what was happening and different in a good way. So I think that's where I first learned about From Good Homes because I remember reading an article on this up and coming band From Good Homes. The name intrigued me and I remember there was a photo of them and their photo intrigued me. Oh. They were kind of long hairs. So any idea when that would have been? In the 80s, late 80s. Well, let's try to think of a, of a moment in time when, so in 80, Wait, wait, late 80s now. And then they went to college. They went to college, so that'd be like 81 to 85. Something like that, depending. The story of uh, Schaefer touring the country with a missile on his truck. I don't know if you heard that. Uh, I've seen photos, and I've talked to him about it. So Todd then, like that mid-80s, right? Mid to late 80s is when they would. I thought it's really intriguing. First, they had the dogs, right? Brady would come back and play with this guy, Tom Duvall. They played some gigs, really edgy, electric stuff. And this is kind of the formation years because then yes. Todd went over and played with Jack Hardy. Right. So of those influences now, if you could kind of imagine and talk about mid to late 80s with the dogs that are trying to be kind of like talking heads-ish, I would say, and then then Todd and then Brady a year later going with Jack Hardy. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's interesting. The 80s, we, we think of the 80s in retrospect as in some ways diametrically opposed to the 60s, right? The 60s were all about community. The 80s were about the me generation. You know, obviously Ronald Reagan was elected twice which, I mean, he's been lionized, but I think he was one of the worst things that ever happened to this country. I thought it at the time, I, I still do. But there was, because of that, because of the me generation, because of Ronald Reagan, and there was a real fear of nuclear proliferation at the time, right, there were the no nukes, concerts that happened at Madison Square Garden, also at Nassau Coliseum on a smaller scale afterwards. You know, it wasn't as profoundly countercultural as it was in the 60s, but there was a sort of protest movement. And you do have Todd cruising around with a missile on top of his vehicle feeling the need to make a statement 
that's, you know, anti-nuclear proliferation. They're building lots of warheads, they're building them all around. Douglas Grumman, North American, they all party down. They're loading them up on pants, loading them up on stuff. Flying them around on airplanes, driving them around on trucks, driving them around on trucks. There's a blinking satellite Deep beneath the ground Some guy stays up all night And I'm sitting here in between Wondering what to fight I'm sitting here in between Trying to have some fun at night Trying to have some fun at night You gotta boogie Do the warhead boogie Gotta boogie Do the warhead boogie such an interesting couple of years to imagine that they were performing as the dogs up in Columbia. And then a year later, he's backing up Jack, right? Right. Uh, uh, going around the world, playing with Jack Hardy. Yeah. And then Brady joined as well. I look at some of Jack Hardy's folk music as being a part of that. I mean, a lot of it is not necessarily as political, but it does harken back to to that more 60s folky kind of protest music with a Celtic edge to it. And I know that Jack hosted on the weekends a writer's kind of consortium for the new generation of folkies where they would play songs for one another, critique one another's songwriting. And I think that obviously was really important in the development of Todd's songwriting and I think Jack Hardy was, was a pretty brilliant songwriter. I listened to a bunch of his stuff. And I really love when Todd covers his songs now that, he's, now that he's gone. Not a lot of people. I mean, Jack Hardy is not exactly a household word. But, you know, the songs that Todd covers by him are, are fantastic. Load him on board. Like so many soldiers of fortune Carrying the knapsacks on the back The chaplain busy making cracks to kill the time Complaining how life's so hard Wondering how to sneak past the guard with their morphine And the older men say Paris is the place to go If you've got a heart that's broke no Were you still on the East Coast back in the late 80s, kind of moving into the 90s? or No, so I, I moved out of New York after I graduated high school in 1980 
And I went to Brandeis University, which is in Waltham, Massachusetts. It's a, a suburb of Boston. One of the really fun things at that time, being a deadhead, was that at the time, there was, a, there was an early period where Robert Hunter was kind of reclusive. And there was a later period where Robert Hunter became pretty reclusive and didn't really tour. But in the 80s, he actually toured quite a bit. And I would always see Robert Hunter and became really intrigued with hearing his catalog, apart from the Grateful Dead catalog, as well as the Grateful Dead catalog played solo acoustic. As I imagined, he might have written those songs when he was sitting, you know, in his kitchen or his living room, composing. And I, I really feel very blessed to have seen him quite a few times in and around the Boston area to the point where he recognized me and we got together and we talked a bit, smoked a number of joints together and talked about music where he would always ask me what I wanted to hear that night. And really is the thrill of my lifetime to have gotten to know Robert Hunter a little bit. And, you know, Todd's songwriting is so different from Hunter's. I mean, it's very similar in being very evocative and very emotional and evocative of emotions and feelings and particular places. But I think they're, they're very different songwriters but I still to this day, and I'm, I'm recounting this as someone who's just seen 10 or more Todd Solo shows because he's been touring now, mostly with this other very talented um, singer, songwriter, and musician, Chris Thompson. I love hearing the Todd catalog apart from the From Good Homes catalog, even apart from the Railroad Earth catalog, he's got a whole catalog of songs that he doesn't play with either of those bands. And I love both hearing that catalog, as well as hearing the From Good Homes and Railroad Earth catalog played in the way that I imagine, and I could be wrong about this, but I imagine he wrote those songs solo acoustic, sitting in his backyard or his house, composing those songs. Suzanne Walker lost her parents at 13. You know how that can tear the world apart. She ran away, she had three kids at 17. You know that's not an easy way to start. You know that's not an easy way to start So I know, like, I guess I was trying to maybe follow up what you had just said about Todd and try to get a little more of the type of songwriter he is. But I don't know if there's one type, right? He probably wrote one way with From Good Homes, 
Railroad Earth, maybe similar. But if you were to elaborate, you know, knowing Robert Hunter, right? He's we all honor the songs that he wrote. How would you describe Todd as a songwriter? Or what is it that makes him what he is? He has this unique capability to take what I think of as a very concrete experience in life, in a movie, in a book, and somehow making it more universal. Because you are the purveyor of the Todd Schaefer Facebook page. Tell me what motivated that and what that experience has been like. And what's the name of it? So I started a page on Facebook called Where Songs Begin, the Todd Schaefer fan place. It's not a fan club, it's fan place. Because as the song Where Songs Begin goes, finding his way back to the place where the songs begin. I think that's a, you know, great, that song is a great illustration of Todd's ability to take a personal experience, songwriting, and then make it more universal. But I wanted there to be a site on the Facebook platform for him and for people who appreciate his contributions from Rare Breed to the dogs, uh, Jack Hardy to From Good Homes, and now Railroad Earth. And through all of that, Todd and his solo contributions, I think it's an incredible career that few people have. And I, you know, I think he's a musical genius, you know, one of the few musical geniuses that it's been my fortune to discover and I get a little zealous about people that I feel are musical geniuses because music is so important to me in my life and so he's enhanced my life immeasurably um, and so I want other people to at least have the opportunity to try it try it see if you like it and see if he can enhance your life a bit as he has mine.
Thank you very much. <laughs>